Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following is a presentation of the Speed Sport Podcast Network. Mike Wallace doesn't have all that much driving experience. For the last three or four years, he's put in his dues in this business. Mike Wallace comes down to the line. He'll pick up the win. It's Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. The battle's for the lead. Mike Wallace gets by Jason Leffler. Mike Wallace comes off turn number four. A great move in that corner. He comes to the line and will win. From grassroots to the top of the racing world. Hear the stories of NASCAR's biggest names and how they made it all the way. Who was Tony Stewart before he was Tony Stewart? I could barely make enough money to pay attention, let alone to try to survive. So, I mean, I was doing it all myself. Presented by Crosley. Amplify your style. Here are your hosts, Mike Wallace and Jeff Kent. Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in, pull those belts tight. We'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. Mike, we welcome a brand new sponsor today, Brady's Mechanical Services out of Clements, Maryland. HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Reach out at BradyMechanicalService at gmail.com. Today's guest, very accomplished race car driver and bobsled builder you ever heard an intro like that <laughs> from shemung new york he cut his teeth driving modifieds in the northeast earned modified championships at the likes of stafford speedway shangri-la speedway and utica rome speedway in 1978 he won more races than any other modified driver in recorded histories check this out mike he started 84 feature events and won 55 of them <laughs> That's a major all-star batting average right there. In NASCAR's Cup Series, 575 races over 27 years with 18 wins, 190 top 10s, and 37 poles. 1986 Daytona 500 winner. 1987 IROC champion. 1994 the Winston winner. 1992 Bush Clash winner. In 1998 named one of NASCAR's 50 greatest drivers. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeffrey Bodine. Say hi to Mike Wallace. Wow. wow. You, sure, you, you sure that's me? You had your picture next to it and everything. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's hard to remember those things. I, during that whole stretch of racing, I hit a lot of walls, so my memory isn't like it be. Plus, heck, I'm, I'm just 73 years old, and the older you get, you guys will find out the less you remember. 
Yeah, well, as we say, those those walls, Jeff, back in our day were not quite as soft as what they are today. So uh, we, we took some abusive action, but uh, certainly glad to have you on. And, man, what a resume, Jeff. I mean, what a, a career history. And uh, I got two Jeffs on the line here, so I've got to figure out which one I'm surely well, talking call, to. Well, call him Jeffrey. And call yes, me, that's Jeff. right. All right. The only yeah. person yeah. that ever called me Jeffrey was my mother. That's when I knew I was in trouble. <laughs> Same here. Same here. Yeah, I forget to do the, the professional side of things, but uh, let's just lead right into it. We're going to change it up a little bit today, everybody. We're going to talk about this past weekend. And, Jeffrey Bodine, you were the catalyst back in 1984 to watching William Byron win the other night at Martinsville. If it had not been for you winning in Martinsville – Hendrick Motorsports probably wouldn't even be around in today that we know it. Is that true? Well, yeah, that's a true statement, Mike. Uh, the week before Martinsville, Rick Hendrick came to Harry High, my crew chief back then, and and myself, and and uh, said, "Hey, uh, I didn't know I was going to have to spend as much money. I spent way too much money, and uh, I'm going to shut the doors, guys. You can't." He he was a small car dealer back then, so he didn't have a lot of cash on hand like he does today and and oh man that was a shocker because you know when i signed up with rick and harry I, he said i could be able to do about 15 races it wasn't even a full year but i wanted the opportunity because of harry hyde he's a winning crew chief and i thought well shoot he can help me learn how to win these cup races and so yes harry and i were in shock and uh we, we said look harry uh or, Actually, Harry said to Rick, uh, Bodine, if you ever knew Harry Heidi, that's how he talked. Bodine, he's won a few races up there with, with modifieds and those late models. And, you know, Rick, I think we have a chance. And he said, the car's all ready. The car is ready, Rick. The engine's in it. Everything won't cost you just for maybe a few sets of tires. And, uh, you know, he saw the sad look on my face and disappointment and, uh, well, okay, one more. We'll give it one more shot. Because <laughs> he and his wife, Linda, were in Greensboro. They weren't even at the racetrack. They were at a church conference that he had promised Linda he'd go to. So we went to Martinsville, and uh, we were running good practice. Had a little fan club get-together uh, right at the track. It was during my birthday weekend, April 18th. And uh, Harry got the mic, and he said, well, you know, Bodine's running pretty good, but I don't think he's ready to win this race. I, <laughs> I looked at him, I grabbed the mic, I said, I don't know what the heck you're talking about, Harry, but we're running good. I'm going to win this. And uh, through some great pitch strategy and, of course, a great handling car, uh, and I, I drew back on all all the resources I had about how I was winning late model races there and modifieds and how I drove the track and, uh, applied them to that day and uh, we passed I, I'll never forget uh, you know I, I passed a lot of guys but the one I'll never forget I passed Bobby Allison I mean great the great Bobby Allison I love the guy passing him on the outside in three and turn three and four for the lead with I think about 30 laps to go or something like that and uh, we won the race and the rest is history uh, sponsors started coming uh, Rick didn't have to shut the door because he didn't have any money. He had good money coming in. And look at Henrik Motorsports now. It's just incredible. I think Rick told me, I texted him after the win Sunday, and he told me uh, 
Henrik Motorsports cars have won 27 races there at Martinsville. It was a crazy number. Somebody was showing a stat, and early in the race, they were talking about the Hendrick Motorsports cars had led had led ten thousand laps. <laughs> wow! Now, so this is a TV equation. There, that's five thousand miles. So if you got in your car and drove from Key West, Florida, you had to drive to Anchorage, Alaska, <laughs> to lead, lead that many miles. Oh wow, that, that's incredible, and and all the other accomplishments. Uh, the drivers and Henrik Motorsports have had through the years. It's just amazing. And every time I see a car on the track, of course, I'm pulling for it. Because I pull for the number five more than 24 and 48. But even those two cars I pull for, and it's always great to see them driving victory lane because I do feel a little bit a part of all that. Well, I'd say you were a big part of it. Yeah, And not only did you win Martinsville, then you came back with the team and you won the Daytona 500 for Henrik Motorsports, correct? Yeah, that's right. His first 500, of course, my first 500. So, yeah, we did a, a couple first together, Rick and I, and which uh, made uh, those wins even more special, uh, uh, of course, for me and Rick. And, uh, you know, but their uh, wins, actually, Mike, I'm, you know, I'm proud of all the accomplishments I've had in, in NASCAR and the wins and all that, but uh, I'm really proud of I brought power steering to NASCAR. I brought the full face helmet, the modern day seat. So I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of those things because nobody, no matter who you want, who won a race, won't race or what year, but uh, those, those things will be racing for a long, long time. Yeah. I'd like you to talk about that, Jeff. We, we have a mutual friend. His name is Mark Duran and Mark and I were talking the other day and he says, nobody realizes all the innovations Jeffrey Bodine has bought, brought to NASCAR racing, just like you mentioned, power steering, full-face helmet. How about telling some of our listeners, uh, elaborate just a little bit more. Let's start, talk power steering. I mean, we all, most of us, know or don't know anything but power steering in cars, and I know we all know back in the day they didn't have them. But uh, how did you come to bringing power steering to NASCAR racing? Yeah, you know, my first, uh, you know, I grew up in upstate New York, my uh, my grandfather father built a racetrack, a little quarter-mile dirt track when I was a year old. And, of course, I started running little racers when I was five. My father built me my first little racer. And uh, I had uncles that raced, so I, I, you know, when I could, I'd hang out with them, of course, working on a farm, picking rocks at the racetrack and, and driving a water truck and all that stuff. Took a lot of my time, but... I'd still hang out with my uncles, and they taught me how to build race cars, build engines, and all of that. And one uncle, really a great driver. So when I was able, and my parents wouldn't let me race until I was 18 and graduated high school. But I built a car, uh, an old 58 Plymouth, and it had power steering on it. Of course, back then, you know, you just unhook the lines and away you go. Didn't even change the steering box, but... And two years later, I, I built uh, my first modified, and I got sick. And I said, man, this thing has a lot wider tires on it that late model did, racing on dirt. And I said, well, I'm going to try power steering. And uh, that's how it started. It just, uh, uh, nobody else was using it on the modifieds. Of course, I changed all that real quickly. And then when I moved to... Uh, North Carolina, and I was racing for Emmanuel Zavakis in the late models here. 
I built uh, cars there and, of course, put power steering on them. And uh, no one in late mile racing back then had power steering. And, of course, even Sam R., the great Sam R. put power steering on and Jack Ingram and Tommy Ellis and even Dale Earnhardt back in those days. Harry Gant. But then when I came to cup racing, uh, my first full ride was with uh, Cliff Stewart and Spectrum Furniture. Uh, Daryl Bryant was a crew chief. And there was, uh, they raced Rockingham. Then there's a week between Rockingham and North Wilkesboro, which was good. Let me get my seat in and get everything right. But Daryl came to me and he said, well, I guess you're going to want that power steering in this race car. I said, well, you bet. And I got all the parts steering box and all the brackets. And the first race at North Fork was in 1982 when the first power steering was used in NASCAR Cup racing. And, of course, <laughs> a guy we all know and love, Daryl Walter, tried to get it outlawed. He went to Bill France uh, and said, Billy, if that power steering break on that boy's car, he's going to wreck everybody. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, we thought better of it, and they didn't outlaw it right away. And we went a couple of races. I'm not sure how many, but we ended up going to Dover. And, well, I already mentioned his name. Bobby Allison put power steering on his car. Bobby was always a builder and innovator, too. And he he won the race. He passed me with about 10 laps to go, and I came in second. Well, now you know what happened after that. Half the field the following week had power steering in their car. <laughs> oh, yeah. What are they? What's that one word about flattery by impersonation or something? You know, you, you copy yeah. somebody. It's a huge compliment. So that's really cool. The one – and remember, we're going to go back into your career here in just a moment, but – this all ties together and intrigued me so much. So you mentioned it, uh, Mark had mentioned it to me, that you, you were one of the first guys to wear a full-face helmet in asphalt racing. Yeah. A and uh, you got to fit this story. I grew up dirt racing, so we had these heavy full-face helmets. And I remember hearing Jeff Gordon say when he'd come NASCAR racing, he goes, oh, my God, I was so much looking for an open-face helmet. Now, now it's back to full-face helmet. So how did what made you think on the safety side and go, you know what? I need a full-face helmet one of these asphalt cars. <laughs> well, you know, the modified, you don't have front windshields. Uh, just have a little screen in front of you. And I started out with just uh, open-face. They really weren't making full-face helmets for racing. Uh, but I saw the IndyCar guys starting to use them. And... Uh, so I ended up using my first open or full face helmet was a motorcycle helmet, you know, with the little bar in front. Yep. Yep. Because then nobody was making a full helmet for, for our use. And I used that. I put some goggles in there and, but eventually they came out with the full face helmet with the shield on it. And uh, I switched over to that. Of course, when I came to the cup racing, I uh, got criticized for it, especially by the late, great Dale Earnhardt Sr. He goes, uh, I can't wear one of those things. I get close to phobic. I can't <laughs> wear one of those things. 
He said, it's no wonder you keep backing into me. You can't see me back there. <laughs> First, uh, I wasn't backing up. He was going forward. Yeah, you and, and, you and him had some nice rivalries, but we'll, we'll get yeah. to that in a little bit. But, uh, wow. Well, congratulations. I appreciate it. As a uh, driver that came along and power steering was already here, uh, what an ease. All we tried to do then was make the boxes softer or harder or quicker or whatever. But uh, appreciate that in ingenuity there. Well, power steering isn't just to make a steer easier. You can set your front end up better, camber and caster, to make it handle better. Yeah. And if you try to run that same setup without power steering, you couldn't steer the car. And uh, so they used to do things to the, the caster, especially to the steering, to let it steer easier when they didn't have power steering. Let me tell you one story about the helmet. We were at Watkins Glen, and uh, uh, I was going to win that race. I was running third. Coming to get one to go, and that's before they had the bus stop in the back straightaway. So we went in that corner about 170 or 80 street path. And I had a camera in the car, and Earnhardt's behind. And I said, "Well, I got to run in here deep so he doesn't dive under me or anything." Which I did. Hit the brakes, and the brake right front brake rotor blew up. You can see the if you watch the video, you can see the piece fly through the air. The camera swings around. Whoever's running that did a pretty good job. They swung around to the back, and it shows me accelerating away from Earnhardt like a rocket. Because he had brakes. <laughs> yeah. I didn't have brakes. I'm going to this corner, a right-hander downhill, way too fast. And I thought I was going to hit a tree and kill myself. I really did. And as the car turned around backwards, it was going off the track backwards. I said, well, you know, this is pretty good see what you're going to hit plus a lot of a lot more cushion back there but as soon as they hit the grass it spun around and went straight into the barriers of course back then they had tires just piled up and they had a steel guardrail and then they had the wire catch fence with the big wire in it well that caught car stopped from going 170 to zero and just the length of the car it's amazing and and as the camera turned around to show me make an impact, it showed my head going into the steering wheel, mm. my face. But I had the helmet on. Of course, it didn't hurt me. I didn't have plastic surgery. didn't knock any teeth out. Uh, it was a violent hit. My whole body was black and blue after that. But the next week, guess what happened? Just like the steering, half the field had full-face helmets. Well, Jeff Bedine, you're an innovator. I can say that, but I tell you what, we're going to test dummy. I, I'm a test dummy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe he's a dummy. I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, wow. I think Randy LaJoy used that line when he said he talked about seats. He was the, his own right. personal crash, crash dummy. dummy. <laughs> yeah. But, but sure. uh, hey, let's take a break in a second here, and then let's come back and get on what the show's about, where you started from. Okay. All right, Jeff, what do you think? Dan Four, we'll come back and do it. Stories with Jeffrey Bodine. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Crosley Speed Sports Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady's Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Reach out at BradyMechanicalService at gmail.com. Today's guest, Jeffrey Bodine. Once again, here's Mike Wallace. Jeffrey, thanks for uh, cluing us on the Martinsville deal. That just was really current. You know, the Hendrick Motorsports team won. You're a focal point of that. But let's... 
go back to the day, whenever that day was. And I'm going to let you tell the story because I have no idea what the story is. How did Jeffrey Bodine even get involved in racing, creating interest to become the star you are today? Well, I know a little bit of a story earlier. You know, grew up a farm boy, but my father, grandfather built a racetrack. My father built me a racer when I was five years old so I could race with the kids. Had uncles that raced. And uh, one really, Earl was a really great driver. Uncle Maynard, he, he was the brains. He, he taught me how to sweep the floor first, but then he taught me how to clean parts and then build engines and how to think about building a race car. Uh, and so, you know, I was kind of, I'm what, a, what a great upbringing. Worked hard on the farm. Uh, had a dairy store, worked hard in the dairy store. Had a chicken farm. We picked a lot of chickens, got chased by a lot of roosters. But I still, uh, you know, had that, desire to, to race I, I actually thought I was going to be a farmer all my life but uh, my parents saw I had some talent and I had that desire and determination to be a racer and they let me continue with that field wouldn't let me race until I turned 18 graduated from high school my uncle Earl drove the car before I got there in heat race he, he won the heat race but me being a new driver I had to start in the rear I finished second in my first race well, congratulations. That's pretty big. Well, right? It's moving through the no, field. It was good. It was good, but my uncle, after the race, Uncle Maynard said, uh, i got to tell you something. I didn't give you a full throttle. I didn't think you could handle it. <laughs> if I had full throttle, I might have won a darn race. <laughs> yeah, second wasn't bad. But then I just started uh, a local racer uh, came by, and he saw my uh, desire and a little, the talent that the Lord had given me. I mean, I'm, I'm just a farm kid. God gave me the talent and the opportunities. And this Southern Racer, he raced modifieds, had a modified car. He said, hey, you want to try my car up? So I said, oh, of course. I went to Fulton, New York for my first time in a modified and did really well. And so that we ended up racing together for, uh, what, three years, I guess. That's when I built my first race car, that Valiant, famous Valiant race car that uh, Bill France Jr. and Bill Gasway, they were inspectors at Marksville in, uh, I think it was 90, uh, 91. Anyway, they looked at my car, and of course, all the other guys were complaining because it was pretty fast and radical. I had an open tube axle like sprint cars use. The engine was offset to the left. It was really low. You know, I came up with, you know, back in those days, Mike, uh, no one was using uh, the, the small clutch that we all use today. Uh, but what I did, I took a, uh, and of course, we were running a Chevrolet big black engine, but we t I took a, uh, a flywheel off, or a ringer off a flywheel off a slant six engine, which was a lot smaller diameter, and cut the flywheel of the Chevy engine down so it fit and folded this triple disc clutch on that everyone's using today and and i was the first guy to do that racing in in the united states any cars had them formula one had them but no short track or nascar racing had them and uh, another thing i'm really proud of now i, I should have i should have marketed right but <laughs> i wasn't ever smart back then i just wanted to go fast anyway i built uh, the variant uh Bill France and Junior and 
Gasway kicked me out of Martinsville. They said, son, this car is about three or four years ahead of these other boys. We can't let you race it. Really? So, what a yeah, that, that's a true story. I'm writing a book. All this is going to be in my book. It'll come out here in another year or two, probably. But, uh, yeah, they kicked me out. Wouldn't let me race. But, of course, I went, eventually uh, built a car that was legal for what – the car was legal. I just like it. It just extended to rules. Isn't that what they say back in the day that they uh, – <clears throat> excuse me – that if they didn't like it or didn't look good, it, it was their rule, and they just send you, make you change it or take it home, right? Yeah, there wasn't a rule against anything I'd done. They just didn't like it. But anyway, uh, <laughs> of course, I went back to Martinsville with the modified, started winning races. Uh, all total, all total, I've won 13 races there at Martinsville. That's an incredible so, record. Just to win a race in Martinsville is a big deal. Win 13 of them's uh, just crazy. But man, from what I hear, and uh, of course I didn't know who Jeffrey Bodine was until you know I was involved in what we, the world calls NASCAR racing. But back in the Northeast, man, you were the man. You you won everything, from what I hear. And uh, t tell us about yeah. those days. I mean, tell us about the uh, the short tracks when you uh, you drove those famous mods. But I mean, you won so many races. I mean. I don't know. I, I know what it feels like to win, but what do you win when you say, oh, I just won 50 races this year, not that big a deal. <laughs> when, you, when you line up, you have a feeling you're going to win, apparently, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's it's funny, Jeff Kent, how we get to talking about this show, and then we find out who our guests are, find a guest, and Jeff, thanks for agreeing to do the show. But then you do a little research, and it's like, oh, my God, I've raced against these people, but I never mm -hmm. knew they were so good. You know, I mean, really, I mean, is, you know, I felt I was good in my era, in my place, in, in the country racing. And then I, the more I found out about Jeffrey Bodine, it's like, holy crap, he was he was the dick trickle of the Midwest he in was, the Northeast. He was pretty damn good before yeah. he came to NASCAR. Yeah, yeah. 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 Major accomplishments, but... Uh, I appreciate it, and I loved old Dick Trickle, and uh, he, was, he was a great driver one... <laughs> Lots of races. I won over 600 in my career, but not not enough compared to Dick. But you know, Mike, what it was was I uh, God gave me this talent of uh, building cars, and I learned early in my career if I build a better race car, it's easier to win. So I was always building a better car than my competition. I still got to go drive it, but you know, I was an innovator, and that that's uh, that's that got me to where I'm at. I, I was, I had three link suspension in the car when nobody else was running three link rear suspension. I had, well, I had four, four coilover springs on my car, independent front suspension, power steering offsets. I mean, all this stuff. I even, because of the Indy cars, I built headers like an Indy car where they, the firing order goes around in the right circle. I mean, it's just crazy stuff. Of course, the aerodynamics, I got that from Indy cars and Formula One. That's how important that was. So I built a, a car that better aerodynamic, more downforce than other cars. And I just continued that through my whole career, uh, through late models with Emmanuel Zavakis, uh, and my modifieds up north with Dick Armstrong. You know, we just uh, ended up building a better car. And, uh, of course, everyone copies you eventually. Sure. But, hey, who but, was who? Who was Dick Armstrong? I hear that name 
Yeah. Uh, tied to you, tied to other people. Who, who was he? Who? He he was uh, a great guy. He and his wife Carol, and the whole family. Uh, uh, he he had a jewelry business up in uh, Franklin, Mass, Massachusetts. Uh, costume jewelry, huge business. I mean, it, they were rocking and rolling back in those days. And uh, I met him through a driver that was driving part-time for him called Ray Hendrick, not related to Rick, but Rick used to go with him to the races, believe it or not. And Rick and I are the same, Rick Hendrick and I are the same age. He used to go with Ray Hendrick to the races when I was racing against Ray. So that's how far back our, didn't know it back then, but that's how far back he knew me. Wow. But I got introduced to Dick Armstrong through uh, Ray Hendrick. He's a great driver. Uh, he, he was one of the 50 greatest, too. And so I ended up going to move into Massachusetts and uh, driving for Rick for many years and built cars out there. Built uh, They call them Big Red because the cars were all red. And we turned that, that uh, racing out there upside down. Race against Ronnie Bouchard up there, uh, Bugsy Stevens, the big names, Freddie DeSaro. Just names and names of great drivers, and uh, they taught me how to race. And the neat thing about modified, uh, Mike, is you don't start up front in the main event. You start in the rear. They go by points, so if you have more points, you start in the rear. So you really have to learn how to pass and not wreck. And uh, I learned not to wreck because I had to fix the car, so I didn't want to keep working on that uh, a great learning experience up in the uh, northeast New England. We raced Martinsville. Uh, that's where I won a lot of races with Rick, uh, Dick Armstrong. I first with Emmanuel's Rockets in the late models. So uh, all that short track experience, all those great names, owners, and crew people, just, uh, you know, it'd take a book to just write all those names down. They all added so much to my career, knowledge and hard work and opportunity that uh, that allowed me to keep moving on through the, the ranks of racing. Well, you definitely won a lot in early days. So how did the opportunity come for you to have our Harry Hyde, or how did you end up, let's take it and go from the northeast and move towards the Carolinas? Bring it down or, south. Bring yeah. it down south. And, yeah. and we're, Jeff's going to, Jeff Kent's going to ask you a question <laughs> that we ask everybody in a moment here once we figure out how you got down south. Okay. So how? Well, you know, Dick Armstrong had a late model. They raced, uh, and Ray Hendrick drove it at Talladega, Daytona. And, uh, of course, when I got winning races, uh, said, why don't you try it? Ray really didn't want to do it. So I ran Daytona and Talladega. Uh, my first taste of that kind of racing, I said, oh, man, this is where I want to go for sure. And then when I left uh, racing with Dick, I ended up, racing for a Ray Sill Farms car. And, and Ronnie Bouchard drove it for a while. Well, he won Talladega with it. Eric Gant drove it. And, uh, but when I did that, I moved to North Carolina. They were still in Connecticut, but I moved to Carolina. So now I lose that ride. And uh, what am I going to do? So I went back racing modifieds and late models. But... Uh, then I got an opportunity with uh, uh, Dick and Bob Bear. They own 
called Ashford Plains Speedway, which then they turned Bill Lousy Speedway. Okay. And they had a late model or a cup car. It's uh, a Tom Pistone car. Tiger <laughs> Tom. Yeah, Tiger Tom. I love that guy too. And we prepared it in his shop and went to Daytona, qualified for the race. Uh, uh, that's the race where somebody blew up going into turn three. I don't think we had radios back then. Maybe we did. Anyway, uh, Richie Rudd got around the oil, but I hit it. And I slide through the corner sideways, got down in the grass, and I'm pushing the brake pedal. And that's when I hit the uh, little berm uh, that goes over the t- tunnel that goes under the track in turn four. Reporters and photographers used to stand there. I hit that berm and I went right up the berm. Thank God they all jumped out of the way and I went over top and hit a TV car. <laughs> and had, I made the front page. I didn't win the race, but I was on the front page. <laughs> well, they, they took the car. They took the car in the garage, and I said, uh, I "Didn't have any brakes." Kid got it. Yeah, it's got brakes. I was put first time I ever drove it. I was pushing a clutch pedal. <laughs> <laughs> I was so they just took the dust off the car when I'm finished the race with it. But I was pushing the clutch, so that was a little embarrassing. But I got front page news. But then, you know, uh, we raced that car a couple times. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm sure you know this, Frank Klesinger. Oh, yeah. He, owned, he used he to own Hagerstown, right? Yeah, Hagerstown Speedway. He had a late model. And, uh, you know, he had uh, uh, Pat Boyer's working there and Joey Cudmore and the guys, were, they're all still around. And somehow I didn't have a ride and I was living in a little motorhome in Richmond. I said, I can't do this anymore. My family was in North Carolina. I said, I can't. So I stopped racing for Zavakas. So I'm searching for a ride. And well, somehow Frank, we got together and, uh, he said, why don't you drive this to Daytona? We'll go to some races and see what, what happens. Well, we did. Uh, Daytona, I qualified second. I think something happened in the engine. But then we went to Darlington. The track too tough to think. Yeah. <laughs> and I qualified pretty good. Now, this is a ragtag team. I mean, it's great people. Reg Cagle was a crew chief. Old Reg. He lost a leg racing. Jeffrey, hold that thought right there. Let's take a break, and we'll come right back at Darlington. Once again, career stories with Jeffrey Bodine. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. All right, welcome back. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. We're, we're brought to you today by Brady's Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Reach out at BradyMechanicalService at gmail.com. Today's guest, Jeffrey Bodine. And now, once again, high atop the pit box inside the Crosley Speed Sport Studios, here's Mike Wallace. As we're having an interesting conversation with Jeffrey Bodine, we're talking about how he comes to move down south. And you're at Darlington now. Too tough to tame. Take it from there. Yeah, and I hooked up with Red, uh, Frank Fletcher, Durant, late model. And I qualified right behind David Pearson. Wow, David Pearson, the best at Darlington. I mean, he won so many races there and smooth and knew how to get around there without wrecking. And uh, I said, I'm going to follow David. 
he's going to teach me how to drive this track. And I followed him. I followed. He was just real careful. You have to be. You know, you got to you learn where you can pass people and where you can't pass people. So I followed him, and we ended up winning the race. Oh my. Unbelievable. Well, Earnhardt was in it, and Harry Gann, and David Pearson, and Allison, and we beat them all with this ragtag team uh, out of uh, uh, dirt track racer and a bunch of good good old boys. It was amazing. And, and, well, two days later, that night, uh, uh, that was Saturday and Sunday's race, cup race. That evening, I got a phone call from Cliff Stewart, who owns Spectrum's Furniture, uh, furniture company in high point there north carolina and said hey uh he talked he always smoked cigars hey bow down <laughs> if you can win at darlington you can win it here anywhere how about coming down here and let's talk so i went down to his shop not too far from where i was living at that time and uh we struck a deal together and like i said earlier our first race was north Brooksboro, and uh with power steering. And so he, he catapulted my career, gave me that first full-time ride in cup. We won rookie of the year that year in cup, uh, which was quite a deal. Uh, came close to winning some races. And the next year, uh, is when Harry Hyde got with Rick Henrik and they were going to put a team together. Of course, we all heard about it and saw, you know, Dale Earnhardt Sr. tested a car at Charlotte. They were talking to Richard Petty. And at that time, Tim Richmond was driving any car. They talked to him. And who the heck wants to go for a and drive a first-year team with a car owner owns? You know, nobody made the move. And Harry Hyde called me up. He said, hey, Bodine, you told me what was going on. I got this guy, Rick Henry, great guy. He's honest. He'll He'll give you more than what he says. And how about coming down talk to us? So I did talk to Paul in his office. And of course, back then, no cell phones. And we got done and I told him, yeah, I'd I like, I like the deal. You know, I, it was because of Harry, but I mean, I've told that Rick many times, so there's no problem with that. They said, well, let, let Harry and I talk and we'll give you a call. And I'm thinking, oh, boy, oh, boy, been here before. That phone never rings. I said, hey, Rick, how about if I just wait out in your waiting room? It's <laughs> for the answer. I swear to God. And about five minutes later, they came out and said, you got the ride. Shook hands. And, but he said he was so impressed that I wanted, I, I wanted to wait for the answer that he said, I got to have this guy. Yeah, well, there you go. I was just going to say, what prompted you to just say, no, I, I just wait if you don't mind? <laughs> yeah. Well, I wanted it that bad, but there's no, uh, you know, I figured my phone would ring. Yeah. I don't even know if he asked me for my home phone number. Yeah. So, for some reason. So, let me ask you this. I, and because we talk about careers throughout this show and people's ups and downs, and every driver's went through getting fired and heartbroken and all this and that. So you won Rookie of the Year driving for Cliff Stewart at Spectrum Furniture, and then you went and talked to Hendrick. And just because you liked the Harry Hyde situation, is that why you went and even talked to him? Or was did something change on the Spectrum program? Well, you know, I love Daryl Bryant, the crew chief, but he needed some help. We were breaking parts, and I had Rockingham won, and 
man, I just laughed at Carol Yarborough, and I, we we're just going to win that race, and the ratchet in the rear end broke. And uh, well, the first year we were, we were leading the race, and uh, that, that was a season when Goodyear was short on tires. We ran out of new tires, so I put an old tire down my car, and I blew a tire going to turn three and hit the wall. So, I mean, things just weren't going right. It was just time and, for a uh, change. Okay. I just sometimes yeah. you want to know how, you know, thinking about that now, if if those things wouldn't have went wrong, you may have never won the first Martinsville race for Rick Hendrick, and you may have never won a Daytona 500. So, uh, it's, it's why, you know, it's, it's why does that happen? Well, there's a reason we don't know it, but it all turns out okay. But well, Jeff, like, Jeff like, Kennedy. Like I mentioned, like, kind of like what I mentioned earlier, God is. God has blessed me with some talent, with a lot of opportunities, led me to the right people. And, you know, I missed a lot of things in my life, and I screwed up a lot of things in my life. I'm a sinner like every, everyone, but he sure blessed me and, and led me to the right people. So, I, you know, I give him all the credit. Everything happens for a reason. And remember, in racing, if there's if something's not working right, it's got to be the driver's fault. Yeah. <laughs> we share yeah. we share this conversation from the day we started to show. We've all got fired, and it's they always look at and you go, don't take it personal. It's just business. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, yeah. no, no, I put my heart and soul in this thing. It is personal. Yeah. That's right. Tell that to my family. Yeah. 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 But but every I've been sitting I've been sitting in that seat every time that tire blew out and hit the walls. So that was pretty damn personal. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so one question that all we uh, started from show number one, show number 32 now, Jeff Kent, you moved from Connecticut, you moved to Charlotte. I know we're backing up, but we're going to make this quick because we missed. So it's a Jeff funny story. Yes. So, Jeffrey, you move from the Northeast, you, you come down to uh, North Carolina. I assume you threw all your stuff in a car, drove south. What kind of a car was it? What was your personal car when you moved to North Carolina? Uh uh, actually, it was a uh, Chrysler Cordova. Nice with rich oh, yeah. Corinthian leather. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what, what, does Corinthian wear out and put holes in it? I don't know. Well, it, it's a long-running question we ask all of our guests, and the funny story is, I think one of the best answers was your brother Todd when he was on the show. He said he had a Chevette. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. He did. Yeah, so we, we've had a variety of cars, low rider pickup trucks, to Justin Marks going. No, I just flew over here and got a car when I ended up here. And now we've got a Cordoba. <laughs> a Cordoba. Cordoba. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you you did the uh, Rick Hendrick program, and we keep I, somehow we keep going back there, but let's speed forward because we're going to run out of time here. Uh, What's the big next steps for Jeff Bodine in the cup world? And, and and if you don't mind, fill me in where the U.S. bobsled team fits into Jeff yeah. Bodine's career. Because, And then I want to ask you how you really ended up in the bobsled world because someone told me a story. I want to confirm it one way or another. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll tell you the real story. Okay. Well, you know, Rick Henrik and then uh, – uh, went to Junior Johnson. What a great opportunity! But unfortunately, the first year was great. Almost won the championship. Third, second year, you know, he had uh, troubles with his. Uh, with, he and Flossie split up. He had a girlfriend, and Tim Brewer wasn't happy. Sterling Marlin. He he got another team with Sterling Marlin, and Tim was not happy about that. And 
He said, I'll show that man. I'll show him. He should have put me in charge of everything. I said, Tim, I'm driving this 11 car. <laughs> Come on, I want to win some more races. And we, we did, but that ended up not good. So then Ford, Ford came to me and said, hey, uh, you know, they're sponsoring Bud Moore, Motorcraft, and we want you to drive for Bud. And if you can't win in that car, we're going to pull the sponsorship from him. So a lot of pressure there, but a great opportunity. And at the same time, uh, uh, they were racing the, the Olympics for, I can't remember, I can't remember what's but 92 the Olympics, Winter Olympics, and I was watching the Olympics, and we were watching Bob sitting at home one night, and the announcer uh, made the statement, well, maybe the reason Americans are, aren't doing very good, they have to buy and use European equipment. And I said, what? No one in the United States building bobsteads? But at the time, I thought, well, maybe I can be a driver's coach. They were hitting walls and a and I just got curious about it. Ended up going to uh, Lake Placid and, and uh, right after the Rockingham race early in the year. And uh, I learned that, yes, sure enough, they were, the athletes had to buy their own equipment. And it was junk, piece of junk. Uh, Bruce Roselli was there. He, he stayed there to give me a ride, which he did. Scared the heck out of me. Was on the old track at Lake Placid, very dangerous. He didn't even race there. And then he said, hey, you want to drive? I said, oh, are you kidding me? I'll kill us. No, no, we won't go all the way to the top. I said, are you sure? <laughs> he said, ah, you can do it. So I went down the first time. I did pretty good. I said, oh, you know what happens when you do good? Your head gets big. <laughs> and uh, I said, let's do this again. So the second time down, they, they pushed us off. I, I realized right away, I said, that first time was luck. I have no idea what to do. And... Uh, Went through the corner, S corner, zigzag, and almost crashed. And I said, oh, please, Lord, I start praying now. Please, Lord, don't let me hurt Bruce or myself. And I'll never do this again. I promise. The last corner, I didn't find this out until afterwards. The last corner at that time was the most dangerous corner in bobsledding. That's one reason they didn't race there anymore. It was dangerous. So when I went around the corner, I, I turned too quickly, and I hit the wall with the front end and then the back end slammed the wall and knocked the wind out of Bruce. We, ESPN was there. They had a recording of all this filming it. Well, of course, back then they taped the uh, camera on her helmet and on the, they set a recorder on her lap. She had to play, uh, uh, play and push record at the same time. Not the technology they have today. Bruce is out of breath. Holy shit. He's gone. Huh? So we got out, and I, he said, is this the last ride? I said, yeah, it's the last ride. He said, come here, look, at, look. He pointed down to his frame. It hit so hard, the wall, that the rear frame got bent six inches to the left. <laughs> I mean, it destroyed it. But now, by this time of the day, I knew what I wanted to do. I couldn't be a driver, couldn't be an athlete, a coach. But I wanted to build these kids some bobsleds, American-made bobsleds, and I said, well, Bruce, I guess I'll have to build you a bobsled. And that's how it all started. I hadn't driven, I hadn't driven that bobsled and hit the wall that hard. I probably wouldn't have made that statement. Well, I, so Things happen for a reason. Sometimes wrecks happen for 
a good reason, and that was a good reason. That confirmed the story I was told from a friend of yours. They said, well, you want to know Jeff's real story, and you just told the real story. But <laughs> yeah. th then you went head deep, and you, you got involved in the U.S. bobsled team. You helped them develop a sled, supplied them with sleds, and then they won gold. So thanks for helping uh, – you know, our country win some Olympic medals. Once again, the innovator. Right? Yeah, totally. You know I mean, the, and the neat thing, the neat thing is, guys, we changed the way bobsleds are, are being built. We're being built all around the world because we applied our racing knowledge to building a bobsled. We didn't copy anyone. And in the beginning, it was my money because I'm racing. I'm making money, so I spent over half a million bucks. But that doesn't matter. We never sold these things athletes use them free they didn't have to buy them they were free we supplied the mechanics to work on them free uh but the the european guys this is and you know this for a fact mike you're racing your competition really doesn't like you especially if you beat them well we started beating the bob the, the world in bobsledding and the other athletes loved me i said what the heck's going on what happened was because we helped our American kids get better, their countries had to help their teams get better, so they loved me for doing that. They, were, you forced yeah. the country's hands to step up to the table. That's cool. Well, first they first they probably accused you of cheating somehow. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that damn power steering got us again. Yeah, right. Well, there was a lot of that going on when we got into sporting, and uh, our head engineer Bob Cunio. Was, was my engineer when I bought the Quickie team. Uh, he caught him cheating. So he eliminated a lot of cheating going on in bobsledding. And again, the rest of the world, Germans were doing the most. So the rest of the world really liked this even for that. Yeah, cl cleaned up the sport. Well, we're going to come back and we're going to, we need to talk about the Daytona 500. Let's do it. Okay. Yeah, that's, stories that's an interesting story. With Jeffrey Bodine, you're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Crosley Speed Sports Studios. This is Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady's Mechanical Services out of Clements, Maryland. HVAC install maintenance repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. Do me a favor and blow up their email. Today's guest, Jeffrey Bodine. And I think we're going to talk about winning the Daytona 500, Mike. We are going to talk about winning the Daytona 500, but I'm going to go back and just highlight that phenomenal effort you put forth on the U.S. bobsled team and helped them win gold. So thank you, Jeffrey Bodine. And okay. so we've jumped all around, we, and I apologize. We have kept no coordination of this show at all, but it's been fun. But we know you won the Daytona 500, and honestly, I don't get to sit and talk to people who won the Daytona 500. Tell me about getting to the Daytona 500 and in the position that day. I've ran the race numerous times. Tell, tell me how your day went, and, of course, we know you won it. Describe the win. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, Rick, uh, you know, and, and Rick formed another team with Tim Richmond, and so Tim ended up with Harry Hyde as a crew chief, and I ended up with Gary Nelson as a crew chief. You know, of course, Gary had won races at Daytona, and, so I was really happy about that. And uh, we worked all winter on these cars and did a little testing, and we knew we had had something good for Daytona. Uh, we got there, uh, qualified second. I think it was, yeah, started second, I believe. And uh, 
in a qualifying race, a 125 race, we were uh, fast, and I slingshotted back. Back then, you could slingshot. You get a running start, and you just fly by the guy in front of you. It's awesome. No restricted plates. They hate restricted plates. And it was Dale Earnhardt, senior. So going to three, I, I fly by him, and, man, I mean, we're going fast. And back in those days with the bias five tires, with the cars we had, not a lot of downforce, you go through the corners sideways, you know, a little hung out back then. I got a little too far hung out and spun out coming off turn four, and uh, everyone missed me. And I spun down and aimed right down pit rows. Of course, the yellow's out, so we changed tires and uh, continued on a race. I, I think I got back to third. I'm not sure. One many laps left. Bill Francis Jr. came over to me afterwards and he said, Hey, Lucky, how you doing? I said, What do you mean, Lucky? <laughs> you were just lucky. You spun out and didn't hit anything. That's not, that was skill, Bill. That was all skill. I, I put that show on for the fans. You're going to pay me something extra? You know, just kidding around. But we had a good car. And, and the race led a lot of laps. Uh, I think Bill L. was on a pole of it. That's the first year that the Monte Carlos came out with the slope back window. So we were as fast or even faster than that Thunderbird. So Earnhardt and I raced the whole race uh, back and forth. And, uh, it came down to the last pit stop. And uh, you know, I'm telling Gary, uh, you know, we need some tires. So I'm coming down pit row. He said, no tires, just fuel. I'm like, oh, come on. I need tires. No, no tires. So away I go, just fuel. Now Earnhardt comes in, I think, the next lap. Of course, he was in a hurry. He slid into his pits, had to back up a little bit, and they put, uh, I think they changed his tires, but they put gas in it. And then he, but he left too early. They didn't fill the tank up. They didn't get the tank full of gas because he left early. And now he's about a straightaway behind me, and I see him. They tell me, and I said, okay, well, I'm, I'm kind of going easy to save one gas fuel, but to save my tires for the end because we didn't have new ones. So he caught me, I mean, running as, as fast as he could go. So he's using more fuel than I am. And so now he's catching me and so I'm waving him to pass me because I want to draft on him. I, I thought I could pass him at the end. I just wanted to draft him. He wouldn't pass me. He kept waving back at me. I'd wave, <laughs> I'd wave my hand, come on, pass me. And he'd wave back. No, he wouldn't pass me. But we're going, we slowed down a lot. You know, I slowed down a lot. He still wouldn't pass me. And I just saved him my tires because that last lap, I wasn't going to let up. I was, it didn't matter. I was not going to let up. And uh, we caught Benny and Phil Parsons. They were ahead of us. So I kind of drafted off them. And it was coming down to what, uh, when did he run out of gas? Two to go or something like that. And uh, coming off four, I saw, saw him turn low. And I started screaming on the radio, he's out of gas, he's out of gas. <laughs> of course, he came in there and slid in, they put gas in, and then we, when he left, he blew the engine up. Oh, wow. But I was praying that I had enough gas. So I kept drafting Benny and Phil right to the end. I didn't want to pass anybody. Just saving gas, and first tears started flowing down my uh, cheeks to my eyes as I come to get the checkered flag, and you know, that was quite an emotional win. And got in victory lane, and 
my wife, uh, my kid's mother, Kathy, came over and stuck her hand in there. Of course, we talked about, man, this has been a long road to get here, and this is what my dream was, to go to Daytona and win someday. It happened really soon in my career, but we were talking about all that, and of course, then I got out and stood up and the victory sign and broke the accolades. Of course, Rick, Rick and his father, Papa Joe, were there, and it was quite an emotional day, of course, event, and, uh, but it was a life-changing one, that's for sure, for, for me and Henrik Motorsports. Yeah, well, you, you can continue to help Henrik Motorsports and, ha- and continue to help your own career along. And I'm going to jump really quick on something that really didn't have nothing to go in this. But as you progress in your career, things change, different situations change, and uh, you end up acquiring Alan Quickie Racing after Alan's plane crash. Yeah. And you become a car owner. What is that like in the cup world? From here, you many years ago, you win Daytona, all the accolades, all that pressure, all the things that you and your, at the time your wife discussed about what you guys went through. And then all of a sudden, you step into the same industry, but in a totally different position. Was it was that a big change for yeah. you, or you were just that type of guy that you were ready for that? Well, you know, when you deal with uh, when you're just a driver, you don't own the team. You know, you're, you're, uh, you can't, you can't make all the decisions of the team. You know, like Rick came to me, I'm out of money. You got to quit. And then uh, junior Johnson got messed up, had a deal problem with his wife and that messed the team up. And then Bud Moore was kind of at the end of his career. And you know, so, you know, I, I love Bud Moore, believe me, I love Bud Moore, and, but he was, he was hard to deal with. He was old school. He didn't want any of these new ideas we had. Yeah, we went to we went to Sears Point to race, and I told Travis Carter and Donnie Wingo were the crew chiefs, and uh, I told them how to put a rear anti-roll bar in the car, and we they did it at night when everyone left, and they didn't tell Bud because Bud would not have let us do it. Of course, then we went out there and won the Riverside race. So I mean, so going through all that, I said, man, man, if I had my own team, I could I could control all that stuff better. <clears throat> and what of course when Alan, tragically, I mean, what a great racer. Uh, got killed. Felix Bottas was the executor of his will, and uh, there were other people that wanted the team. Payne Stewart, the golfer, wanted was trying to get into owning the hearing, team. I remember hearing that, yeah. yeah. But but Felix came to me, and, and Mr. Quick, Alan's father, said they, they wanted a real racer to own the team. They didn't want somebody. They wanted a real racer to own the team. Felix came to me and said, you need to buy this team. I said, what? <laughs> Are you crazy? He said, no, you need to, because I was always a hands-on guy with the teams I worked with. So talked it over with uh, my kid's mother, and we ended up buying the team, made a deal with Jerry, a fair deal. Uh, and, uh, you know, we part of the deal that year was running Hoosier Tires. Bill France Jr. told me to run those Hoosier Tires. I'm going to tell the whole story will be in the book, but he's the one. I didn't do it on my own. I'm not, I'm not real smart, but I'm not real dumb either. I called him up and said, Hey, these get this sponsorship and involves running Hoosier tires. He said, I want you to do it. So a great year, 94, you know, I ended up driving a car a little bit in 93 at the end. Of course I lost the Hooters sponsorship. You want to know why? Yeah. I what? loved Hooters, but they, 
when Alan was killed, they brought Jimmy Hensley in to drive the car to keep it going. Well, when I bought it, uh, uh, I can't think of the name. Who owned Hooters? Darn it. Anyway, Mr. Brooks, wanted, I remember that. Yeah, Mr. I forget he wanted he wanted Loy Allen to drive the car. Loy was running late models and stuff with Hooters. They wanted him to get in a cup car. Well, you know, Felix and uh, Mr. Uh, Quickie, you know, we all talked, and they wanted Jimmy to stay in the car. Even though I owned it, you know, I asked them, what do you think? And they, they wanted Jimmy to stay in it. Well, because we want to put Loy on in it, they pulled the sponsorship. Hmm. So here I buy a team with a sponsor, but then I lose the sponsor right away. I mean, I'm going, holy cow. That's going to be a little tougher than I thought. <laughs> what Scooby-Doo say? Ruh-ro, we got a problem. Roll, but, yeah, right. but, but then you got Exide batteries, wasn't it? God. Yeah, yeah, for 94, 95, and that ended up with a mess. Uh, actually, the gentleman we dealt with, the CEO of Exide, went to prison. Oh. Well, we've heard <laughs> that story, too. We just heard a mad, <laughs> mad Hagen drag racing story that he uh, last week that he had drove for uh, – a gentleman, as he says, I raced off a of government money, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> or taxpayer money. How do you say that? It was funny. But... So then, then I got QVC as a sponsorship, and and uh, and first year was okay, and second year, they didn't want to pay me what they said. That maybe it was the first year. Yeah, they didn't want to pay me what they promised. $18 million, Mike. $18 million they didn't pay me. So then I had mm. a partner with the team. Felix brought a couple of guys he knew one was uh has started worldcom pretty he was a billionaire millionaire and the other guy jim Matei, he was a investment guy in, in businesses and brought him public and made lots of money and and they they ended up coming in helping me and i was going through a divorce at the time so i was everyone thought i was nuts and, uh, Everybody thought you were nuts. Yeah, <laughs> I know and that. You, I know that's not funny, but it, it was yeah. funny the way you just said it. <laughs> well, well, it was. It's funny now. Everything's great now. But uh, so anyway, they uh, fortunately they wanted the team without me, so they ended up uh, the second year saying, "Look, you owe us money." They we're my son Barry was driving the truck series, and, but they took over everything and. They said, well, you owe us money. I said, what do you mean? Well, we, you, you spent too much money with your son driving in Dave Resendez. I said, I wasn't doing it. You did it. No, you owe us money. So anyway, they ended up buying me out. Well, you, know, you, you, a, never, get, you never get what you put in it out. So it was, right. it was okay, but not a super deal. Yeah. Well, Jeff, you've had an incredible career. I mean, you you started out in the short track world. You dominated there. You came, we'll call it NASCAR racing. You won there. You experienced the the highs of winning, the the challenges of owning your own race team. And we're getting close out of time, but I want to bring one thing up that is a uh, it's positive, really positive, because we're talking right now. We're on this conference, but. Um, yeah. You stole some thunder from me back in the day uh, when you, I you won, won. You won a race. I, I, I won a race, <laughs> I but was, I was listening you, and watching on TV in the hospital. We're, I I remember we're talking about the inaugural truck race at Daytona. Yeah. Right? Wasn't and, that no restrictive place? Wasn't that a ball? You know, Jeff, and you tell me you're an innovator. I think that particular race that we were both involved in reset the whole trend of speedway racing and nascar rules for a while because we put on the very best race 
yeah. you know, unfortunately, Jeff got hooked, took down, I don't know, seemed like hundreds of feet of uh, front straightaway wall. And when I said, I'm happy we're talking right now, because I remember seeing kind of a highlight screen. And it's like, there's no way he's going to walk away from that thing. And here we are talking and he racing and everything. Well, so amazing. Uh, I know it. I'm uh, really ha ha happy for you today. Sorry that happened. But, uh, man, you that what what an incredible deal that was. It was. And, uh, yeah, just uh, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. But actually, and the lap before that wreck happened, I just told my crew I can pass. I had a pit. That's why I was behind. But I caught you guys. And I said, I can pass these guys anytime I want. I'm just being careful. Well, then the wreck happened. <laughs> it didn't look too good. No. But, but, yeah, the front was cut off at my feet. The roll cage was ripped off. Another vehicle hit me, spun around. And everyone thought I was dead. Uh, and I, I was for a while because when they got to me, Mike, I wasn't breathing, uh, which was several minutes. And uh, they did my seatbelt. I started breathing. Hmm. And... Uh, but during that time, and I, I, I love telling this because it's, it happened, and uh, a lot of people don't think these things happen, but it did. My father came to me who had passed away. He was sick when he died, but he looked great to me. And uh, I looked at him and I said, Dad, I'm coming to see you. And he said, no, it's not time. You have more to do. And, and God has led me to do so much more since that accident. When he saved me, you know, I, I wasn't time to go. He saved me, and I'm healthy. Uh, but I went to the Mideast four times, saw our troops, signed autographs, talked to them about the Lord. And, I mean, they were – every time I get in front of people to talk, I say, Lord, you gave me this opportunity. You gave put me here. Give me the words to talk. And he does. So I'm very blessed that I'm still alive, very thankful, and it's all because of – uh, my faith in Jesus Christ. They say he saved me, and that's the only reason I'm here. And I try to get people uh, that aren't saved, that don't believe in that, to be saved, believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and uh, because that's the most important you can think to do in life. Well, there, is a, there is a life after this. There is a divine plan. Everything happens for a reason. That's correct. Uh, Jeffrey Bodine, thanks for your time. Thanks for the, sharing your great experiences. As we mentioned earlier, we can talk about this for another hour, and hopefully you'll come back on some other time, and we'll we'll pick up on some other stories. Looking forward to that book that's going to come out in a year or two. And uh, that's and when, it, Jeff. When it Ken, comes out, story. come back and join us, and we'll talk about it. You've been listening hey, to I, a lot more to talk about, and I love uh, sharing all this with race fans And uh, because my book is going to be – Daytona 500 champion Jeff Bodine tells the rest of the story. <laughs> the rest of the, the story. story. <laughs> my, my career, but about NASCAR. I'm not naming names about how a lot of drivers won races uh, according to the rules. And then, All then, I the can... chapter, then the last chapter would be about my faith, how it affected my life and my career. Beautiful. All I can tell you, you better get going. Mark Martin was on the show early on. He said he's got a book out that's going to be a tell-all book coming, and he yeah. says, I'm not holding back either. <laughs> Once again, I'm not, thank I'm you. I'm not naming 
I'm not naming names. I don't want to hurt anybody. You'll, you'll figure out who I'm talking about. Thank right. you, Jeffrey Bodine. You've been listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. Mike? I have to come up with the final part of the show. It is my daughter Lindsay's birthday today, and this show drops tonight, so I got, she'll hear it. And happy birthday, Lindsay. Happy I love birthday you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Lindsay. <laughs>